The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. This segment is brought to you by TD Bank Aurora. Don't forget, there is still time to set up a personal financial review or to discuss your RSP contributions. Reach out to your local TD Aurora branch and book a virtual or in-person appointment today. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host from her home studio this week is Dr. Claudia McKellar. Good morning, Claudia. Good morning, Tina. I hope you're ready for a jam-packed show. We are all set, my dear. Over to you. Okay, so first up, we're going to speak with Emily Boros-Rausch. She's the creative director of Mia Thrives. Now, tomorrow is February 28th, and it's Rare Disease Day. So Emily is going to teach us all we need to know about epidermilosis, Thank you, Emily, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, So epidermolysis bullosa, short form EB, is a rare genetic skin disease um, that mainly affects skin elasticity. So that's like the glue that holds your skin together. And without that glue, um, the skin can open up and blister at the slightest touch. And EB um, has a range of different subtypes that can Um, be extremely mild to extremely severe and in some cases even life-threatening. And Emily, why did you want to get involved in learning more about EB? So I actually have EB. Um, So at one week old, I was diagnosed with dominant dystrophic EB. Um, So it's something I've lived with my whole life um, and I guess that is what pushed me to be involved in the EB community. And so I was doing a lot of reading about yourself and about the Mia Thrives Foundation. So tell us a little bit about that and why it's important for us to help this foundation. So um, Mia Thrives is a Canadian charity, and we focus um, on the emotional needs of butterfly children in Canada living with EB. Um, So one of the big things about living with a rare disease is you can feel so isolated and alone. And some people can even go through most of their lives without ever even meeting anyone with the same condition. Um, So what we're really working towards doing is um, building a community where we can come together, share stories of thriving with EB. Um, We put out um, podcasts. We have children's books. Um, We have resources um, for the EB community and also resources to just spread awareness in general for EB. Now, you mentioned that it's a rare skin disease, but how common is it? Do you know? So it is super rare. Um, There's only estimated to be half a million people with EB in the entire world. Um, So about two in a million um, live births, there will be a genetic mutation of EB. But if you have EB, you have a higher chance of passing it along if you have children. Now, you said something before that was so pretty, and you called the children or people with EB butterfly children or butterfly people. How is that, and how did they come up with this? So that is a term often referred to people with EB um, because their skin is um, often described to be as fragile as a butterfly's wings. And so how fragile? Like, explain, so for listeners who may not have ever heard of this condition, so 
Is your skin, like you have to keep your skin covered at all times? Are you allowed to be exposed to the sun? What are some of the limiting factors that you'd have to be, that you would face as a person who has this condition? So those are great questions. Yes, you do definitely have to be careful in the sun. And people with ED also have a higher risk of developing skin cancer. So um, the sun is a big concern for the ED community. Um, and sort of like I mentioned with the different subtypes can affect how fragile your skin is. Um, so some people, for example, are only bandaged um, certain areas of their body. For example, for me, it's mainly been my knees and my elbows. But for someone with a more severe form of EB, and it can affect almost their entire body, and they can be almost covered head to toe in bandages. And has the pandemic, has, you know, living with COVID in our midst had an effect on you? Yes, it definitely has, um, because often you're having to travel for doctor's appointments. Um, since EB is so rare, the resources are often kind of spread out. Um, so it's been extremely challenging during COVID um, for people to get to their appointments, even even just issues, for example, with shipping, like that things are taking so long, and um, a lot of our community depends on getting very specialized bandages that you can't purchase just from local pharmacies, but that need to be shipped in. Um, so it can be an extremely stressful time um, waiting for some of those supplies to arrive that we really depend on. And now over the recent years, there has been a huge shift over social media about body image and body positivity. So I feel like this could have positively impacted someone like yourself who is, you know, dealing with this rare skin condition. Is this the case? Definitely. Um, I think it's so amazing that in the past few years especially, there's been some EB models. And um, not only are they helping to raise awareness for EB, but just being amazing role models for people in the EB community. Um, I mean, growing up, I never saw pictures of anyone who looked like me. And I imagine that that would have been a huge confidence boost for me. And to just see people who look like you and you know, to to just show that all bodies are beautiful and um, to embrace your scars and your differences, I think it's making it a huge difference in the EB community. Now, before we went on the air, you shared with us that you're expecting your first child. Congratulations. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the worry, the added challenges of pregnancy and parenting with EB? Yes. Um, so yeah, it's my first pregnancy and it's definitely been a challenge to navigate um, because with a rare disease, there's often very limited information. Um, so it, it's been difficult to make a birth plan, to, to find other resources, um, and we are working on compiling these together so we can share them with the community and hopefully going forward, it will be a little bit easier to find this information. Um, and with my form of EB, um, dominant dystrophic, I have a 50% chance that the child will also have EB. Um, so that is kind of a whole other layer of preparing. Um, so anything from having to order in special bandages, um, even just 
like some of the fun stuff, like creating a baby registry. Um, every single item has to be researched to make sure that it is safe and could work for a baby with ED. Um, for example, they need to wear very soft, seamless, seamless clothing because even something like um, a seam from a one, onesie rubbing against their toes could cause um, blistering and wounds to form. Oh, my goodness. Will you know before your child is born if he or she has the rare disease or do you have to wait until after birth? So I could have gotten an amnio test, um, which would have been 98% accurate, letting me know if the baby also has EB. But, you know, 2020 was such a crazy year, um, and I feel like lots of us had not the best luck. So I just decided to take no chances. Um, so I will not know until the baby's born. Well, that was probably a really wise decision. Um, Emily, I cannot thank you enough for joining us and sharing with us um, all the information about this rare condition, and I wish you the best of luck with Mia Thrives. If listeners would like to know more about the foundation or more about um, um, butterfly children, how can they do that? So you can head over to MiaThrives.org. Um, we have lots of videos on people thriving with EB, as long as a podcast, EB Hacks. Um, so we would love for you guys to check it out. Awesome. That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Emily, and good luck on the rest of your pregnancy. Thank you so much for having me on. When we come back, Inside the Kindness Journal, this is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 105.9 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. I'm Tina Cortez, and over to Dr. Claudia with today's guest. Thank you, Tina. Our next guest is Dr. Natasha. She is an emotional fitness expert and the founder of The Kindness Journal. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, I feel like now that although Ontario, some parts of it have moved into a red zone, there's still so many restrictions in place, and we're all still feeling boredom, maybe cabin fever, and the impending sense that this is never going to end. So what I wanted help with was how we can manage these feelings personally or within our family setting. Yeah, I think those feelings are starting to become very real. Uh, I know I've, I'm, you know, human and struggling with some of those feelings as well. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to recognize them, number one, and not to pretend or not to, to sort of name them. But I think it's, you know, one of the things I think that helps us to remind ourselves a couple things. One is that there's, there's, there's no way this can last forever, okay? Even though it can feel like it's like it is forever, there's no way this can last forever. So just, you know, a little reminder, it's always helpful. Um, it will be behind us. Um, and soon, soon, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, soon. Not soon as in tomorrow, soon, but soon. And um, I think the other thing is that, you know, when we get into the mental trap of thinking that things shouldn't be this way or why is it this way and why me and why this time and that, those kinds of thoughts can be unhelpful because um, they, they place focus on what we can't control. So what we really need to do is focus on what we can control, which is our own experience, our own health, our own nutrition, our own sleep, our own 
any kind of sensations that we can give to ourselves that are new and stimulating in the restrictions um, that we have. And, yeah. So we're a year into this pandemic, and so many of us are feeling like it isn't going to end, as you suggested, that, yes, while there is a light at the end of the tunnel, it still seems at a distance. How then specifically does one feel like they can get out of it? What specifically can one do to feel inspired again or reinvigorated again or find that energy that they need to keep going forward? I think when it's, the answer is very similar to whenever there's a difficult goal or a very desirable goal that is a long way off, potentially, with um, a hardship in between. You know, imagine um, and the analogy of like completing a, a doctoral thesis or, or um, you know, finishing uh, AA tr- um, a treatment or something like that. But, but I mean, actually, they have one of the best models, uh, which is one day at a time. And that's really, I think, if you bring the focus back down, instead of kind of looking at things uh, in the macro level, which is okay for like a second, but bringing it down instead to, okay, it's just today. My whole purpose today is to enjoy today as much as I can. You know, I might have some problems and I'll deal with them as they come, or I might have some feelings and I'll deal with those as they come. But otherwise, I'm going to just enjoy today as much as I can, possibly can, and then I'll wake up tomorrow and, and try to do that all over again. And, and that's my goal. And I think if, you bring, if we bring it down to that one day at a time micro level, this can be very beneficial, very helpful in getting through some of the harder stretches. I think that makes a lot of sense, and you're so right, taking it one day at a time. And I feel like, you know, we've, so many of us are, have grown accustomed to, you know, this new normal, and, you know, we're still worried about it, and so many of us are looking forward to, like, dining out and gathering in small groups, but mm-hmm. I did read that so many of us are still worried that they'll not have the courage to go back to the way things were, and they'll still be scared and skeptical. And I'm concerned that how will this affect family life and relationships in general, what advice and tips can you offer those people who are like really worried about getting back into the, into the world? Well, I think anything that where we have a motivation or like an underlying fear that is not rational. I mean, some fears are necessary and rational and we require them in order for our survival and so forth. And we need to detect certain threatening situations and so forth. And, However, we live in a time where even before the pandemic, our fears were, many of them were very unfounded and very self-made and very self-created. Um, and, you know, if even, even really going out and living your life now should not entail fear, even in the crux of this pandemic. I mean, as long as we are not doing things to endanger public safety and, and being blatantly uh, disregarding um, people's well-being, there shouldn't be really any reason to go out and be frightened to do your own grocery shopping or to be scared to uh, enjoy something that as um, our freedoms slowly open up again more and more, which we're now finally going to see. Um, so I think we have to, yeah, to, those, to those individuals, I would say, I would advise, like, what is behind your fear? What, who's creating, because they are creating that fear. We are, whoever feel, feels that way, we are responsible for creating that experience, that emotion inside of us based on how we're processing the situation. And in most cases where people feel that kind of fear and they're driven and they live their lives by that fear, they're creating that feeling from a set of thoughts that just don't make a whole lot of sense. 
and they're not very truthful, they're not very, they're erroneous or they're faulty. So um, I think it comes down to under, being a much more um, rational and kind of um, more realistic with oneself. And Dr. Natasha, what advice do you have for two specific groups? What advice do you have for children who maybe are feeling anxious about putting that one step in front of the other, and for our seniors as well, who have been cooped up for quite some time? What can they do mm-hmm. to keep moving forward? I think that children, at least young children, really are uh, the people who are dealing with this the best, the youngest ones. You mm-hmm. know, not so much teenagers um, are a bit of a different group. But um, children will be fine because children are the natural high-level beings. They're resilient. They quickly adapt. You can throw them into almost any situation and they'll mold to it. So, you know, um, with a few exceptions, I'm not suggesting that, of course, every child is faring beautifully or, or fine, but they, on the whole, they will be handling this better. Um, now, the seniors, different story. I mean, I can, if we can put ourselves into the shoes of people who are in, in those age categories, I think there could be some very real hesitation in moving out and about into the world on, for some of them. For others, they might just be itching to get out the door and do things, you know. So, <laughs> but for those who, who are afraid, I think there's a little bit more perhaps foundation there because, um, you know, it's, it's, it is a little bit of a new world for people uh, who may not be as confident moving about the world and, and um, you know, just staying healthy. Um, and I think, again, focus, we ha- for all age groups, we must focus on what we can control and only what we control. The things that we can't control, you know, we could walk out tomorrow and, um, you know, um, there's the proverbial piano that comes and falls on your head. Obviously, that's probably not going to happen. But, you know, there are other things that could happen in the world that we don't have control over, you know. Um, we don't live our lives typically by those kinds of things. So we can't do that when we have the freedom and the ability and we've been given the go-ahead to go out and live our lives, I think we owe it to ourselves and even our communities to go out and live them and focus on what we can control and look at our individual situations and our help and conduct ourselves according to that. And throughout this whole pandemic, so my biggest struggle has been um, having open and candid conversations with my children. And I do agree with you. I feel like kids are so resilient. My kids were none the wiser for a long time. They were just going about their business and just following the Mm -hmm. rules because that's what mom and dad did. But we made a conscious effort to try not to scare them and help them navigate the new normal. But, you know, there are times I'm thinking to myself, is this the right thing to do to try and protect them from what's really happening? To not, should they be a little bit scared of this whole thing? Or should we just let them feel the way we want them to feel? And that's confident that it's going to get past us and we just have to do what we have to do to get through it. Oh, I think it's very much the second. I don't think there's any reason to ever scare a child for anything. Um, and now, now, keeping them informed, you know, and, and I was asked about it almost a year ago this time, or maybe it was shortly after and leading into, yeah, it was around a year ago this time, should we be telling our children about what's going on? And at the time I was interviewed, I said no, but then I was interviewed like a few weeks later, a month later, and I said yes, you know. So, I, you know, my, my advice quickly changed because, of course, our part of the world quickly changed in, in March last year, too. And they, so they need to stay informed. They need to be informed. Even children as young as four and five, they understand fully what's going on. I mean, not fully, but they, they have a, a, a workable understanding. But there's no reason that just having, having an understanding of the realities of what's going on around them should induce 
fear. And we should not, I don't think in my opinion, um, there's never a reason to imprint or project fears into our children in order to keep them safe. In fact, if anything, irrational fears will immobilize you, not mobilize you. It will make, it actually, it actually statistically ups the chances of an accident or something occurring because your attention and focus is not on yourself and what you can control. So yeah, very much instilling them with confidence, you know, we're going to get past this. You need, because yeah, here are the rules and we need to do some certain things. We need to wear some, a mask in school and you know, you know, you'll need to wash your hands. You need to stay away from people, especially those who don't live in our home that we don't know. You'll need to not be running up to them and hugging and kissing your friends and all that. But, but you know what? This is fine. This is temporary. We're going to get past this. You know, it's all that kind of thing. So they have the information and the facts, and they know what to do and how to conduct themselves. They feel strong and they feel confident, and they know why. They have a. They have the. They know. They understand the why behind why what they're doing. That makes so much sense. I also wanted to ask you, how do you break that negative thought pattern and create a, a healthier way of thinking and moving? Mm, that's like, a, <laughs> like an age-old question, right? I mean, I've dedicated much of my career to, to that exactly. And I think for me, it's always come a little easier and more naturally to think positively. However, for the majority of us, or for, I would say um, many of us, it's, it's harder. And we are, all of us, myself included, we are sort of wired innately to look at the negative aspects of things. And some people will do that more often, more frequently. And I think what we have to do is continue to train ourselves. We can actually train it. We, you know, there's no way that we're born um, in that regard, especially when it comes to our thinking, that we can't change. And what it takes actually is deliberate habitual practice of reframing and become, first of all, becoming aware of how you process things in a negative way. Um, and then secondly, reframing and again, not turning um, a problem into uh, something that's a joy. I'm not suggesting that we should think of problems or tragedies or things that are, you know, the, 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 the um, difficult things in our lives as, as wonderful and joyous. None of that, none, none of that sort of thing, but more that, you know, we, look at the problems as they come to us in our lives and deal with them as they arrive and know that we have the strength and confidence to do that, but that we, we feel overall that, yeah, you know what, this is, this is going to be fine. Like I, I, I have problems just like everybody else says the optimistic or, or positive person, but it's how they handle them. That is different. It's, um, it's the non-amplification of the negative feelings that surround them, if that makes sense. That so makes that, lots of sense. Thing. That's so great. Yeah, yes. That makes a lot of sense, and you're right. It's a practice of trying to maintain yeah. those positive thoughts. So now, I, uh, you know, in my own practice, I'm seeing patients, you know, on a daily basis, and one of the things that has come up numerous times and continues to come up is people's stress and um you know, anxiety over having to work from home. Some adults are at home with children that are adults doing online university courses. There's a lot of people in one home and the pressures are increasing and the stress is like at a boiling point. So mm -hmm. what are some tips that you can provide to help those families cope? I think if, um, if there are families that are still dealing with that, I know, um, Initially, it was very tough for everybody um, when we first got into the whole online schooling, everyone at home. Now, I would hope that we would be a little bit more adapted and adjusted and have established some, some bit of a routine. But even then, 
it can still become chaotic to your point. I think, again, bringing it back, taking it back down to it. You know what? This is just today. This is just one day, and I am going to, it's, it's just going to make it through to the end of this, you know, and then, and then tomorrow it's a chance for a different, for us all to show up differently or for the day to show up differently. Um, and any kind of techniques to reduce stress uh, for homes that are experiencing a lot of stress, uh, whether it's within their control or not, anything that you have control over, um, that you can control the stress in your own home, do it, you know, because there's enough out there right now that we can't control and that we don't have a say over that can be stress-inducing. So control how much news you're watching. Like, I don't really read it at all anymore, and I haven't for a very I haven't. I didn't read the news very much before the pandemic, but I really don't read it very much now. And controlling news consumption is probably my number one tip for stress. Um, being mindful of the kinds of conversations you're having with people. I've also started personally, I just, I'm not having lengthy conversations about the pandemic with anybody. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's not going anywhere. I mean, if it's a fruitful or, you know, conversation that's interesting um, and thought provoking, then maybe I'll engage in it. But otherwise it seems to be the same old stuff, you know, hashing the complaints and the, and the, and the, oh, well, you know, and, and I'm, I'm done with it. It's just not helpful. So, you know, it's those kinds of things, Taking, removing those elements from our lives um, and focusing on what brings us joy and what we need to get done in a day, I think, can go a long way. That is the best advice I've heard. <laughs> and I cannot thank you enough for joining us today, but please tell listeners where they can learn more about you and mm-hmm. take full advantage of all the amazing things you've created. Oh, certainly. Thank you so much. Um, so they can, I mean, Dr. Natasha Sharma is my full name, and I mean, I'm um, usually find, findable on the web. Uh, on, I'm on Instagram at Dr. underscore Natasha Sharma, and um, I have a virtual uh, counseling therapy practice called NKS Therapy, and I also uh, founded the Kindness Journal, which is a company that provides tools, um, um, including a guided journal and an online course called the 8-Hour Therapist for people to take control of their own um, happiness and their own uh, emotional well-being and mental health right from their own home with really simple, easy, affordable, effective um, courses and tools. So that, and that's, the, that's at thekindnessjournal.com. That's terrific. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Natasha. And Dr. Claudia, please remind our listeners how to follow you. That is easy. You can find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Michaela or my website, ClaudiaMichaela.com. For previous episodes of The Wellness Prescription, go to 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Twitter at 1059theregion or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 1059 The Region.